The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Uh, if you have a Bible, let's open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. And last week, you know, we kind of went away from uh, Matthew and, and just dove into Christmas. Christmas is coming. I felt like this week, okay, we need to get back into Matthew just for a week. Next weekend, we'll be back into Christmas. But actually, as I looked at the message, uh, as you'll see the title, Christmas and the Cross, uh, they really do go together because honestly, the whole purpose of the original Christmas uh, and the virgin birth and the miracle of God sending his son to the world was so that baby would grow up and ultimately he would go to the cross. That was his work, that was his mission. And then on the third day to rise from the dead. So we're gonna talk about that this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for today. And I thank you for those who are here, uh, and, I, and not only those who are here, those who are watching, listening online, and we know they could be anywhere in, in the country, here, America, but they could be anywhere in the world. Um, and so, Lord, I pray that it is not a coincidence, whoever is hearing and listening to this message, uh, it, this is more than just, you know, giving information. This is your word. And even as you captured and, and really surprised Hormoz, there may be someone listening to this particular message that, Lord, before it is through, they will have a supernatural divine encounter with the living God that you will pierce their hearts and that you will speak to them. And, Lord, bring a mighty deliverance and salvation and healing and help and hope. So we commit this time into your hands and pray the Spirit of the Lord would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so a simple message. We've only got uh, three kind of life lessons if you want to follow along in your outline. The first one is going to be kind of an interesting one Messiah, the son of Joseph, and Messiah, the son of David. So I give two different titles here, so it's going to be interesting. So Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 21. It says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and then be killed and be raised the third day. Now, this is kind of very abrupt. Uh, from that time, from what time? Well, the story right before verse 16, which is what we covered two weekends ago, is the story of Jesus at Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi, so Galilee, Sea of Galilee, where Jesus did the vast majority of his miracles and ministry for three years, is in northern Israel, north of Galilee. So Galilee's in the north, but north even of Galilee is the mountain called Mount Hermon. Uh, and it's where the, the springs literally come up from the ground in this mountain that flow into uh, the Sea of Galilee that becomes the Jordan River. Very, very special place. And Jesus had brought them to Caesarea Philippi, where not only the water comes out of the rock, but it's also known as the gates of hell. Jesus brought his disciples. This was kind of their graduate uh, you know, test for three years. He'd been doing the works and, and sharing with them his true identity. 
uh, who he was, where he came from, what was his mission, and then what was the work that God had sent him from heaven to do. So he said, who do you say that I am? And finally, Peter said, you are the Christ, or Messiah, the anointed one, and you are the son of the living God. So as he begins to share that, uh, Jesus responds and says, wow, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, has given you divine revelation. I've often thought, you know, if Peter kind of looked at the other guys like, do you guys hear that? <laughs> divine revelation. If you ever need any help, come to Peter. Anyway. So that is the experience. But now, interestingly, so that's true, and Jesus says, now, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, which really was the confession that Peter made of the true identity of Jesus. And right after Peter makes that confession, that Jesus now says, I will, you know, you're the, the rock, or Peter, you're the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. He says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going behind enemy lines. I'm going to save and deliver people literally from the clutches of the evil one. And then immediately after that, we come to verse 21, where from that time, where they made the confession, Peter made the confession, Jesus began to talk about the cross. Now we've been in the north, in Galilee, for three years, most of the time. Now we're going to Jerusalem. We've got to be there by Passover. And when I get there, guys, I'm going to suffer many things. Now, the reason that I have here in the lesson, Messiah the son of Joseph and Messiah the son of David, is that there are two different, very different pictures of the Messiah in the Old Testament. God had, you know, over time and through history and through many different prophets scattered some 318 to 321, depending on how you count them, different prophecies of what the Messiah would look like. But as you read through the prophecies, there, there are two very divergent pictures that are given. One is of a Messiah who suffers, a Messiah who is betrayed, a Messiah who is rejected, a Messiah who suffers, a Messiah who even somehow dies. And then there's another picture of the Messiah that he is a king, he wins all his battles, he rules, he reigns, he's powerful, he brings heaven to the earth. So they're like, wow, it's interesting. So what the rabbis did is they actually came up with two uh, different names of two, basically they came up with two messiahs. The suffering messiah, the suffering servant, they called Messiah the son of Joseph. Why? Because you remember the story of Jacob, he had 12 sons, they become the 12 tribes of Israel, and then there's the one son uh, that is Joseph, who wore the coat of many colors, and he has this dream where God says, everybody's gonna be bowing down to you, all the other brothers, and he tells everybody the dream. He goes, hey, guys, at breakfast, I had a cool dream, all my brothers are bowing down to me, is that awesome or what? How many know that didn't go over good with the brothers, right? And then, if that wasn't bad enough, then he goes, hey, mom and dad, you guys were bound down too. <laughs> so, so then his brothers are angry. They, they plot to kill him. And then one of the brothers goes, ah, we can't go that far. So let's sell him to be a slave. And he ends up going to Egypt. And then he gets thrown in prison. And he just suffers, 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 suffers until the end. He's raised up and reveals himself. That's how they said the suffering Messiah will be like Joseph. He's gonna go through some really, really rough and rocky times. But the other Messiah, they said, he's like Messiah, the son of David. He'll be like David, he'll be this mighty king. 
and a mighty warrior. And um, so as Jesus now is heading to Jerusalem, he's been talking about the kingdom. Which of those two uh, messiahs are the disciples thinking he's going to be? They believe he's gonna be the Messiah, the son of David that conquers their enemies. I mean, they've seen his supernatural power when he chooses to use it. He has authority over nature. He's walked on water. Uh, he rebukes wind and waves and they obey him. Diseases flee, you know, and people get radically healed. Uh, demons scream and pop out of people. Uh, he even raises the dead when he calls them forth. They come back to life. And they're going, wow, imagine when Jesus starts using all that power against Rome. Why, he'll throw them off our neck and man, we'll just, it'll be there. So they're talking and discussing in the gospels about when he really uses his power the way we know he will, who gets to sit on his right hand, who gets to sit on his left. So that tells you what they're thinking, Messiah, the son of David. They're totally, so Jesus, by telling them, guys, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm gonna be rejected by all of our religious leaders. I'm gonna be betrayed by our own people. And then I'm gonna suffer greatly through them. And then I'm gonna be killed. But on the third day, I'm gonna rise. And they're like, what? They're not ready for this. They're not really prepared. The intensity of the confrontation that will happen when they get to Jerusalem, they really never do get it while he is there. It's not until after he resurrects and ascends to heaven, they go, oh, and then they finally begin to get it. So it's very interesting uh, that though there is coming this time of struggle and rejection, it is all part of God's plan. What Jesus is telling them, what's gonna happen, the way I'm gonna be treated, and what I will go through, has already been determined by my Father, revealed through the prophets, for my first mission is to come as a suffering servant. Now, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me from Matthew. Go back uh, to um, Isaiah chapter 53. And I wanna read to you this, this prophecy. This is just one, and by the way, this was written 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, all right? 700 years before Jesus was born, and this is what it says, Isaiah 53, verse four. Surely, this is Isaiah the prophet. He's a Jewish prophet, right? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Who's our? The Jewish people. And yet we, the Jewish people, esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes or beatings, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. When did Jesus die? At Passover, when they're slaughtering the lambs for the whole nation, just to remember the Passover. He was the Passover lamb. As a sheep before its shears is silent, 
So he opened not his mouth. Remember, they blindfolded Jesus. They beat him and hit him in the face with their fists and then said, prophesy, tell us who just hit you. He never responded. The irony is he could have told them, each one their names. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. Isaiah's prophesying the Messiah here will die. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked. Remember, he was crucified between two thieves, one at least a murder, but with the rich at his death, Joseph of Arimathea the Pharisee. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, and yet it pleased the Lord, this is the Father, to, to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days. In other words, for those who will be saved by believing in him, even the one that suffers, it will be worth it and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. All those who would be saved, all those who would be healed, all those who would be delivered, all those who would be reconciled to God. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's pretty powerful. When you, when you read that, how many of you see Jesus? Right there, right? Well, guess what? Did you know that from the time of Jesus for a thousand years after, so around 1000 AD, the traditional rabbinical Jewish interpretation of Isaiah 53 was... This is talking about the Messiah. But around the year 1000 AD, the, the rabbi said, wait a second, no, we need to take another look at this. Why? Because for a thousand years, when Jews read Isaiah 53, they immediately thought of the Jew, Jesus of Nazareth, and multitudes of them became believers. So they re-examined and reconsidered and then changed the interpretation, and to this day, Many Jewish people will say, no, Isaiah 53 is not talking about the individual, the Messiah. Isaiah 53 is talking about the nation of Israel, and they apply it to themselves. Now, uh, there, there's a problem with that. Uh, one is, if Isaiah 53 is not talking about an individual, but talking about a nation, and that nation is Israel, then the question becomes, how does Israel become its own savior? Or how do they become their own Messiah to themselves? The reality is, the scriptures in the Old Testament never speak of two messiahs. Every time, every one of those 300 plus prophecies of the coming messiah only speaks of one messiah, one anointed, one redeemer, one king to come. How could one person fulfill both pictures? Jesus gives us the perfect answer. Jesus, the only Messiah, will fulfill both visions as one person, one Messiah, but it will be in two comings. Not two Messiahs, one Messiah, two comings. 
His first coming would be to be the suffering servant, to be the sacrifice, to be the one who would bear the sins, not only of Israel, but for the sins of the whole world, to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And then he will come again, the same Redeemer, the same Messiah, after he resurrects from the dead on the third day, he will send to heaven, the Father will make all of his enemies, bring them to his footstool, and he will come back as the son of David, King of kings and Lord of lords, hallelujah. Okay, so with that, let's go back to Matthew chapter 16, because right after Jesus shares with the disciples that, which again, they will not fully comprehend until much later. But then in verse, this is astounding what happens right after Jesus says that. Verse 22, then Peter took him, Jesus, aside. Here, Jesus, come over here for a minute. Away from all the other disciples and began to rebuke him, Jesus saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. (laughs) When you're in a place in your life where you're pulling Jesus aside to rebuke him, you're in trouble. (laughs) Verse 23, but he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus was looking at Peter, but he was addressing the spirit that was behind Peter's words, and he rebuked the devil, said, I know who you are, and I know what you're trying to do. And he literally was rebuking that. So here's what I I want you to note in the second life lesson. Jesus rebukes Peter for thinking from a human perspective, not from God's perspective. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God but the things of men. Now, it's an amazing thing that at this point, Peter had the remarkable boldness, if you want to call it that, to rebuke Jesus, but yikes. We're in trouble when we're telling the Lord the way things should be. As he takes Jesus aside and and he says, Lord, you know, on this one issue, you're wrong. (laughs) No, if ever you think Jesus is wrong, you're the one that is on the wrong side of the equation. Now, I will say it's not hard to follow why Peter might have been thinking like this, okay? Because number one, remember the story that just happened. Jesus asked all the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter gave the right answer. He was the only one to, you know, voice the right answer. And as soon as he gave the answer, he confesses Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus then compliments Peter. He says, because this has been divinely, supernaturally revealed to you. You are the mouthpiece of the truth. And Peter feels now in this situation, I've heard from God again. I kind of got an inside thing with God. So I'm going to rebuke Jesus and protect him from this horrible thing he thinks is going to happen in Jerusalem. But unfortunately, it puts Peter in a position of authority over Jesus. And that never is going to work well. What I want you to note this. And if you have a pen or pencil, write this down. Because listen very carefully, believe it or not, It's very easy, even for us who are lovers and followers of Jesus, to end up judging the Lord and rebuking him, and we're not agreeing. We think we're even more compassionate or more tolerant than Jesus is, and we're in big trouble when we do that. I want you to write this down. What Peter said doesn't line up with Scripture. As I just read to you, not only Isaiah 53, many other scriptures talked about the Messiah will come, he will suffer. This is the predicted plan of God for the salvation of the world. Secondly, Peter's 
words are in contradiction to the spiritual authority over him, which is Jesus, the Messiah. Then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Wow, it doesn't get any stronger a rebuke than this. And yet Jesus' rebuke is entirely appropriate. I want you to note this. One moment Peter is speaking as a messenger with divine revelation from God, and the next moment he is speaking as a messenger of a message that is literally from Satan. Jesus knew that this was a satanic purpose to discourage him from even going to the cross. I think it's also important to realize, Peter had no idea when he gave the first answer that, wow, I gave the right answer, it was a divine revelation. He didn't know that at the time. Just as a few moments later, he didn't realize he was being used as a mouthpiece from the devil. Therefore, will you agree with me? Let us be very careful with our words. The book of Proverbs says uh, that, you know, a fool says a lot. They just talk and talk and they give their thoughts, their opinions and everything else. Wise man is one that holds his words and very, is very careful and makes sure that they are in agreement with what God has said. So how did this happen to Peter? Jesus tells us, and it's not only Peter, he tells all of us, Peter let his mind think on the things of men instead of on the things of God. Okay, so, all right, what does that mean? So now we come to the final uh, life lesson because this gives Jesus a teachable moment. And I want you to listen very carefully to these last verses. Here's the final life lesson of what Jesus says in verses 24 through 28. This gave Jesus the opportunity. After rebukes, Peter calls, says, Satan, get behind me. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, yes, Lord, we want to be your disciples, let him deny himself or herself and take up his or her cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, they must first say no to themselves. Let me put it very, very simply. If you're gonna be a believer in Jesus, it means you are also a follower of Jesus. And a follower of Jesus means he's always in front, leading. In other words, he is forever number one. You forever are number two. You are behind him and you are following him. And when we get out in front of him, then we're fair game for Satan and for the enemy to be used and lied to and stolen from and, and all, you know, he comes to steal and rob and to kill us. So this shows us very clearly that uh, the kingdom of heaven is exactly the opposite of most of our natural inclinations. Now we have a powerful drive for self-preservation and that, that's normal, I mean, God built into us, that's okay, it's not wrong per se. 
But Jesus is showing us a way for a supernatural way to live and to survive. Can I hear an amen on that? Not the way that seems natural, not the way that is fleshly, not the way that is worldly, and certainly not the way that is led by the enemy. I want to put it to you in a slightly different way. When Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, he was saying in one sense, Peter, your place is behind me, not in front of me. It is your place to follow me in the way I choose, not try and lead me in the way you would like me to go. And there are many that even in our generation stand in disagreement with God's word, what, what's right, what's wrong, what lifestyle, uh, what's approved, what's disapproved, and we want to be more you know, loving, tolerant, compassionate, than, and we put ourselves in a judge over even God and his word. Let me put it to you this way. The, 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 the laws of God are not rules. <laughs> they are what God gave to Moses, and even on the top of Mount Sinai, and what's revealed all the way from the end, and then Jesus lived it for us. These are the words of a father who is our creator, who says, I love you, you're so dear to me, you are so precious to me. I want to bless you, and I want nothing but your happiness. I want you to have love and joy and peace and fulfillment. I want you to walk in the light. You have an enemy. He wants to rob you, steal from you, kill you, abuse you, use you, destroy you. Get it. God wants a relationship with you to bless you as a father and a son. And the only way that the father-son relationship works is when you let him be the father and you become a son through Jesus Christ. You're following him. He says, follow these. These are my words of love. These are my words of wisdom. This is the way that you will experience life and love and joy and peace. If you go over here, the devil doesn't want a relationship with you. He's been doing his own thing a long time. And the further down the track he gets, the worse it becomes. Then you become in rebellion. The problem with Satan's kingdom is everybody's at war with one another because everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. In the end, you will get knifed, you will get sliced, you will get chewed up, you will get spit out, you will go into greater darkness, you will lose love, you will lose joy, you will lose peace, you will lose your identity, you will lose anything and everything. Literally, it will all start falling apart. So Jesus is saying, if you wanna be my disciple, deny yourself being number one. You are no longer number one. Jesus is number one. And we get to be not only number two, we're in a divine relationship with him as our savior, as our father in heaven. And it's all about relationship. It's all about walking in the light. It's all about the joy of the Lord. Much of our modern spirituality is focused on you, all about you. You become your own center of right and wrong, morality, immorality, good or bad, being you're in the forefront following your inner self, self-realization, self-promotion. What do I feel? What do I believe? What do I want? What is my goal? What will make me happy? And yet Jesus is saying that if you follow that path, you won't find yourself. In fact, you think you're gonna find yourself? You will lose yourself. You will lose your life. You will lose everything. So here's where you will find it. Deny yourself being first, let Jesus be first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And then love and joy and peace and relationship and family and blessing will be yours forever and ever and ever. 
Because being a son or a daughter of God is all about relationship with your heavenly Father, following your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Okay, so go with me. We're going to finish in the Gospel of John chapter 10. I'm not going to comment a lot about it. I just want to read it to you, and I hope that with this prelude, it makes sense. In fact, I want you to, everybody look up here for just a second. I want you to say this out loud with me. Uh, I must deny myself. Pick up my cross cross. and follow Jesus. Jesus. It's very simple. I'm not in charge. I'm not God. How many would agree you're not God? So what the heck are you doing out in front? Any human being from anywhere, any background, any culture, any language, any any group. What in the world are you? You don't even, you had nothing to do with even getting here. You didn't choose to come here. You're a created being. So hey, let's talk to the creator. And let's follow him. He loves us. He likes us. He wants a relationship with us. So, John chapter 10, beginning in verse 7, Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So, he's the shepherd. We're a sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief... That's the devil. He does not come to you unless he steals from you and kills you and destroys you. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. How do we know Jesus is good for us? Because he died for you in your place. But But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, that's the devil. He didn't create you sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling. He doesn't care about you, the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore. My Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. So in the end, I want to say this. If you are a believer in Jesus, this is how it works, and this is what it means. You don't lead. We follow, and we follow Jesus because he knows where he's going. And he's been thinking about you for eternity, and he's got a purpose and a plan. He says, I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. Amen? Amen. Okay. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.